Well, today's Bible readings come from uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 and Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start with the 1 Corinthians uh, reading, starting at chapter 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I'm picking it up at chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. And our second reading comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today in the second take in our series, Three Takes on Mission, we're going to lay it on the line. We're going to come face to face with a simple and a straightforward command of scripture. Will we listen? The command is from the Apostle Paul and is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The reader is to simply do what Paul is doing as Paul follows what Christ is doing. But in what way? How does Paul follow the example of Christ so that we're to follow his example of following the example of Christ? Well, let's pull back a bit and see the command in its context to see what it means. Here's the whole bit. It starts actually 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. Rather alarmingly, the passage, that this paragraph goes over into the next chapter. The chapter divisions are actually in the wrong place. So, Paul writes, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
Do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. First, some background. The reference to whether you eat or drink is there because Paul is coming to the conclusion of a long discussion about eating and drinking which was facing his readers, the Christian believers in the city of Corinth. They'd become believers uh, in a Jesus Christ as Lord in a world of polytheism. That is, a world, as Paul writes earlier in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, of God's many and Lord's many. But for the Corinthian believers now, that had all changed. As Paul continues in chapter 8, Verse 6, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, through whom are all things and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and all things came, and through whom we live. Through whom are all things, and through whom we live. The problem was, how do you live faithfully to that one Lord and that one God in a society enmeshed in the worship of many false gods. The issue became particularly acute at all things, dinner parties. Remember them? The reason is that in the ancient Greek-Roman world of the time, virtually all the meat sold in marketplaces had been dedicated to a pagan deity. The animal was slaughtered, prayed over by priests, and symbolically presented to the god in a temple was then taken down to the marketplace and sold. From the pagan Greek point of view, this made their food blessed. But from the Jewish and now Christian point of view, it made it tainted, possibly cursed even. It was demon meat. Now, you might be able to buy food for your, untainted food for yourself from a Jewish market, but what do you do when a, when a pagan friend or business associate invites you to dinner? at their place or at a restaurant. To make it worse, most restaurants were usually attached to a temple of some god. What does a Christian do? Keep pure, cut yourself off, or eat with them and be tainted, or even worse. The problem was made much more difficult because the church in Corinth was completely divided over the issue. Some were confident and said, because the so-called gods aren't real, There is no problem. Go ahead. Others, still affected by a lifetime of serving the pagan gods, thought the idol meat would somehow still be serving the pagan gods, or worse, connected with demons. And to make things worse, the knowledgeable, there is no problem at all, people, were effectively provoking the weaker, more superstitious ones to follow them in the eating of idol food, and so deeply compromise their loyalty to Christ. In effect, to cause their faith to be wrecked. Paul deals with this question in a subtle and wide-ranging discussion, running all the way from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to the end of chapter 10. In the end, he doesn't give a simple yes or no answer. Instead, 
after drawing some boundaries on Christian involvement in pagan activities, he urges Christian flexibility on the issue based on the principle of concern for others. The love of others is to guide the way Christians deal with this issue. And then he comes to, the, to our conclusion. So, he says, wherever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. <coughs> now today we're a long way from the issues facing those believers in the first century Greek Corinth. And yet, and yet, I'm, I'm convinced that the principles that the Apostle presented to them could not be more relevant to us here and now. So I think we need to take these words that, that were addressed to them as also addressed to us and take them seriously. There are two parts in what the Apostle says here in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 11, 1. The first is the first sentence. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, this was a call for a profound refocus in the lives of Paul's readers. You see, they lived in a world where almost all social relations were governed by a continuous and uncertain competition for honour and public reputation. That is, the norm in that somewhat insecure society was, whatever you do, do it all for your own glory. That's how they'd lived. But now they'd, they'd been... They'd met Christ. They'd been blessed in Christ. And because the grace of God in Christ had revolution in a revolutionary way, secured their identity and standing, they were free not to secure their own honour, but now live the motive of living to secure God's honour. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Same with us. This sentence is a profound call for each of us to refocus our lives and our search for honour. And the question is this. Amidst all the duties, joys, responsibilities and pleasures that make up our daily lives, this motive must play a crucial role. Will what I'm doing bring glory to the living God? That is, and I'm speaking at this point to Christians, that is, who've already come to trust their lives to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, will my social behaviour in the community, amongst friends, at work, in my family, will that promote the reputation of the one true God whom I serve and know as Father? That's the question. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Now, I think, I think to do this does take some attention. It can't just be assumed, because it's so easy to slip away. And its importance, I, f I find anyway, is most clearly shown in cases of a clear failure to do this. I don't know about, don't know about you, but when I see a prominent politician 
or public figure who is known to be an active Christian, behave in ways that are so ordinary, or worse, even gain reputation for being something of a narcissist or treat people badly, I grieve. Because God's glory, his reputation, as it, if, if you like, is being besmirched. So that's why I grieve when I see that. I also grieve when I discover that I've done something of the same thing. The command, however, is this. Live to enhance God's reputation, not damage it. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This is not to be taken as some kind of impossible ideal. It's, it's practical down to earth. It's kind of, if you want to put it this way, an important life project. Put most simply, if you must be a Christian, don't be a jerk. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. That's the first part of Paul's command to us, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Now the second part, which I want to focus on, is a particular example of doing everything to enhance the reputation of God, the glory of God. I read it again. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. The command, do not cause anyone to stumble, is a reference to that situation in the Corinthian church I mentioned, where some of the believers' behaviour, perfectly okay in itself, could lead other believers to abandon Christ and stumbling, in other words. Instead of that, they had to take Paul's example, quote, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Mm, there's a problem, I think. To be told, try to please everyone in every way, could be a very dangerous piece of advice. The reason is, well, a number of problems with it, but one is, there are so many different reasons you might want to try to please everyone in every way. Think about it. Why might you be so motivated to please everyone? Well, you could do it because you want to be liked or be thought well of or you don't like conflict or because you're afraid or many ways you can be a pleaser of others or about protecting yourself for your own good. That's not what's commanded here. That's not following the commandment of Christ. The trying to please everyone in every way, in every way that Paul is talking about that he does and asks us to imitate, is the kind that does not seek your good, but that of others, as Paul puts it, that they may be saved. That's following the example of Christ. <coughs> Pleasing others that they may be saved, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul vividly describes how he puts this into practice. He was remarkably flexible in the way he behaved according to different cultural and religious contexts. Now today, the phrase, all things to all men, indicates someone who flips and flops. It means someone who is weak. He's all things to all men, or she is. To Paul, who coined the phrase, by the way, 
It was a conscious effort to let as little as possible, <coughs> to let as little as possible stand in the way of the effectiveness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in people's lives. To reduce cultural and other barriers. And it was to win people of different types and barriers, the Jews, those under the Torah, the law, those Gentiles outside the law, those who are weak in faith, that Paul made a point of becoming like them so he could communicate with them. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 20. <coughs> to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those having the law, not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He does all things, modern translation, to all people, all things to all men, that by all possible means he might save some. In other words, he put himself out in quite remarkable ways in that, in that culture for the sake of others. And in doing that, Paul says in our own text, he said he was following the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. For the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, went out of his way, to put it mildly, to accommodate others for their salvation. For above all else, the Lord Jesus Christ was the one who, as he put it in our Gospel reading from Luke, came to seek out and save the lost. He came, the Lord Jesus Christ came, not seeking his own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. I mean, the creed says it all. I quote, for us humans and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Not seeking his own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved is not incidental to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's at the core of his being and mission. And if you've received the gift of Christ for you, from that remarkable gift, now that gift transforms you to now start following his example. And that's the, what I call the simple and straightforward command of scripture I said at the beginning we'd come face to face with today. We hear the apostles say to us, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many that they may be saved, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So the question is then, what, what do we say? What do you say? Will you follow Paul's example or you follow the example of Christ by giving yourself to the project of the salvation of others. Or to put it another way, is the glory of God, the first part, and the salvation of many, the second part, any kind of priority in your life?
That, that's the question. Could I put the question perhaps even more, more Is it any priority at all for us? Notice that Paul is not here asking us to have a specialised adjunct to Christian living called mission or evangelism. He's asking us to have an outlook on life which our life deeply cares, amongst other things, no doubt, but deeply cares for the salvation of others. And this is not just a concern that people hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that, of course. But not, but not only that. It's an all-of-life concern. After all, as we saw, Paul did not, ex not actually give this command in the context of evangelism directly, but in the issue of new believers coming to shipwreck through confusion of the behaviour of other believers. It's about people being saved at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore maintaining faith as well as gaining faith. So it's not only about evangelism, but it does include evangelism. Let me give you three reasons why you may not be on board with this following of Paul's example. He follows the example of Christ in giving yourself uh, to the salvation of many. You may be afraid, you may be unconvinced, or it could be something worse. First, you may be afraid. You may be afraid that say yes to this command, you say yes to become some kind of cringe-worthy evangelist, someone presumptuous and arrogant. Or you may be afraid that to say yes to it, you are committing yourself to something and trying to be something you know with your personality you simply can't be. Not to worry. This is very much not a command for every one of us to become evangelists, even if that is what Paul was in spades. See, evangelism uh, is the explicit proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's essential and of a priority. But it's also very clear here that Paul is not calling everyone, regardless of their gifts and circumstances, to be committed proclaimers of the gospel. What he's doing is commanding every believer to be a committed promoter of the gospel. A promoter is someone who, who has the glory of God and the salvation of many, of many a priority in their lives. They are gospel promoters, even if they are not always gospel proclaimers. There's no need to be afraid that you have to become someone you're not. You're called to become, on the very foundation, a promoter of the gospel with what you are. Now, I'm, I'm making a bit of this because I think it's important. Nowhere in the New Testament is it suggested that every believer is an evangelist, despite the attempt of some to try and find it somehow. But that doesn't let us off the hook. Not in our obligations to promote Christ. If we're not all proclaimers, we are all promoters of the gospel. That is, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and follow Paul's example. Try to please others in every way that don't seek your own good, but the good of many, that they may be saved. And that, that I think, is the, cha the challenge here, to come on board explicitly with this as a life goal and purpose. You may ask me, what, well, what does it mean in practice? 
My answer is, of course it will depend on your situation, your gifting, the opportunity. And to be frank, I am reluctant as a long-term ordained minister to be too directive to you, to lay people. Because I know that your experience, your lived experience in this space will necessarily be very different to mine. I can say this. It will involve living a good life before unbelievers. It will involve prayer. It would involve thinking intentionally about what's possible to bring people under the sound of the gospel. And it will involve, at times, speaking about what you believe and why. Now, the world has changed a great deal in the last few decades. And to speak well about Jesus today is not that easy and requires certain thoughtful, requires thinking and approach. And that's why we're featuring Sam Chan's book, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy, we deal with the very issue. None of us wants to be that guy, do we? And that's going to be, it, I believe, many of the, of the community groups will be studying it. And you may even hear from Sam himself sometime later. So the first reason uh, you may be afraid should not stop you. The second reason why you're not, not really into this is to be a simple and straightforward promoter of the gospel, may be that you are simply unconvinced. Unconvinced that it's necessary or even a good thing to do. Now, today is not the time to treat this issue at any length. But I can say this. There are two kinds of unconvinced. The first is that you may be seeking and exploring Christ, but not yet come to a point of trusting him and giving your life to him. If that's true, I'm so glad you're with us and you're very, very welcome and hope that this service is, is helpful on that journey. I understand that if you're unconvinced that way. I hope God, in his mercy, does convince you, actually. But the second kind of unconvinced is this. You may have been a Christian for some time, but you're still unconvinced of the priority of the gospel of Christ in people's lives. Now, can I say this? If that's the case, I'd, I'd say it's important to recognise this in yourself and then take the matter further. Identify the issue. Is it that you're unsure that Jesus was raised from the dead and is Lord? Is it that you are not convinced that God has fixed a day in which you judge the secrets of all by Christ Jesus? Do you really believe that to know God as Father through Jesus Christ is the greatest good a person can have? If not, you should do something about that. Explore that further. Talk, talk to me or Justin or one of the staff if you can. Find, if you can. And explore this because... To be, a, to be a Christian but unconvinced of this is a serious failure and needs attention, even though the issues may be quite complex and difficult. So you may not be into this because you're afraid or unconvinced, but the third reason is much more serious than either of those two. Much more serious than fear or doubt.
is that someone might be simply too selfish, too self-focused. Either as a person or possibly even as a church to not seek their own good but the good of many that they may be saved. That's a real challenge actually about not putting yourself out, going on with your life. It's a church, comfortable, enjoyable, and un- un- blissfully unaware of the challenge of those outside, literally, and I guess spiritually, who do not know Christ. Now, if this is the case, then what's needed is straightforward repentance. Repentance, turning from it, renouncing it, asking God's forgiveness for it, amending your lives and seeking the power of God through the Holy Spirit to refocus on what Christ means to you and therefore should mean for others. So there we are. A simple word from Paul to us. A second take, my take, on what's needed in the process telling others about Jesus, but even more importantly, having your heart, being in your heart a deep, enthusiastic, prayerful, sacrificial promoter of the gospel. So today, I urge you to hear Paul's words. Glorify God and do not seek your own good, but the good of many that they may be saved. As Paul put it, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I pray that you will do it.